0: Welcome back to The Signature of Man, a podcast dedicated to pursuing truth in the philosophy of art and beauty. This is episode 11 of The Signature of Man podcast, and I'm your host, Miguel Benitez Jr. In this episode, I had the opportunity to interview Jacob Beal. Jacob Beal received his MM in Composition from Eastern Washington University and his BA in Ethnomusicology from Moody Bible Institute. His music has been performed by multiple groups in the Pacific Northwest area, and he has had one of his pieces premiered in Limerick, Ireland, for the choir festival Limerick Sings. He's currently an adjunct music professor at Great Northern University. In this episode, Jake and I discuss the morality and metaphysics of music. Jake, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with me about art and morality. Yeah, sounds good. I'm excited. When it comes to art and morality, it seems to me that a lot of people today are very concerned about making moral judgments about art, especially kind of at, at a popular level. The idea of kind of art for art's sake, the idea that art should be autonomous from the moral world is, it seems to me, the good the kind of dominant idea. I don't think when people make judgments about art that they're completely consistent with that, but mm. it does, at least if, if you ask them to articulate their view, uh, they hold to what at least some philosophers refer to as asceticism or autonomism when it comes to art and morality, which states that moral judgments are not appropriate in the world of aesthetics. The art world, according to many, should be cut off from the world of morality. So what's your take on that? How might we respond to that? Cool. I think it's silly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> for, for instance just to kind of kick us off so every every once in a while pretty much for my, my brother's birthday and i'll, I'll admit something here I'll, I'll go to the casino this time i, I just went to go watch just because it's funny i went for the food <laughs> but this time I, I was noticing something peculiar you know if, if you're a, an, a people watcher kind of person and obviously the, the casino is a great place to go if you observed phenomena so their their whole business plan is is developed and based around addiction, right? So how, how can you design the whole environment, the flashing lights and everything to keep people in there, you know, not having clocks on the wall. Um, and I noticed that in, in the background, I, I'm, I, I'm not entirely sure about this, whether it's a recording or if it's just some of the machines around, but there's this kind of trans-like music in the background, this kind of like flashing, hemming, hawing sort of sound that kind of brings you into that like always potential of winning. So it sounds like people are winning all around you there's always good things happening around you. So when somebody designed that soundscape, whether that was intentional um, between like the, maybe there's a recording being played over the the entire entire area, or if it was just some of the machines, the machines were designed that way. E- even just the music or the sound in that area can't be autonomous or it can't be art for art's sake. There There is no neutrality in the creation of, of that art. Now that, that might be something that is a little bit Um, poignant obviously casinos want to make music but to say that like even when i i write a note and obviously i'm I'm more of a a musically minded individual but it it applies to everything what you know the first line you draw for a comic or filling in of color for i don't know what artists what kind of language they would use to describe their (laughs) creation the painting (laughs) i'm sure it's a little bit more found than just saying filling in the lines right 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 sure Paint paint by number is about it <laughs> <as laughs> <laughs> But I mean, like, there is nothing neutral about the the activity. So while somebody might say, "I'm I'm just creating to be able to express myself better," or, or something like that, the expressing yourself it isn't a uh, a moral moral absent mind frame. You know,
0: right. The- so like in your in your original example in the in the casino, the sounds, whether ambient or or actual intentional kind of uh, music that's being played, is is supposed to stir up kind of optimistic feelings is 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 that kind of uh, so so something's being done there's this intention in it is that is that part of what we're talking about here there's an
1: intention behind the music and i don't think that anything that has like when you ascribe moral value to anything or just value in general you're already presupposing that there there is a moral judgment happening because i I, I don't know how you could have like give some kind of arbitrary value to music or to art or to to what what have you without assuming that there is some kind of determiner of beauty but that like it's hard to separate i don't think you really can separate truth beauty and morals okay Uh,
0: good so so i'd be curious before we get too far down that one um and and that certainly factors into our discussion but um so, so oftentimes when people defend this art for art's sake view or autonomism, it, 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 oftentimes they appeal to music. Music seems to be kind of their go-to. It's interesting, almost in everything I read, they appeal to music and then they appeal to Triumph of the Will, which is this movie that was made uh, that promotes like Nazism. But everybody says it's this beautiful film, but it promotes this immoral ideology. We'll talk, we can kind of talk about that after. But but I, people appeal to music because you know you think about like the the old uh, cranky person uh, of whatever generation, but they complain about the music that kids listen to these days. Uh, most of the time, what they're kind of turned off by or what they would say is immoral is the lyrics of song, right? But here we're actually talking about music, and so. So do you think that there's something to be said about the music itself or do you think it immediately kind of wraps itself into the good the true and the beautiful like is, is that where it kind of immediately takes us
1: i, I will say I, I don't think that inherently a sound can be good or bad just okay. like a word can't be good or bad right but part of it the the intention of the individual making the thing can be so, and I, I do think that that this would, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit later. I think that there are degrees of beauty, and so like when we look at a a chant, say, say not even a a Western chant, say a, a a Mongolian chant, something like that, very something that's just very monotone. Right. Um, I think that there is beauty in that, but I I think that it, it's a very bare beauty that's not necessarily intended by the things that you can you can call objectively beautiful and and again i I would i would go the direction that if something is called beautiful or or good or true lovely by god almighty (laughs) then i i would say well then then that thing must be beautiful um that's that's you should
0: agree with him Yes. If, if God has declared something beautiful, uh, it's it seems foolish to disagree. So if we don't find it beautiful, it's suggesting that perhaps our tastes haven't been properly cultivated or something.
1: So my my first take on that is that so I, it seems to me that the opening chapter of Genesis when you know God is calling you know, he, he, here's here's the opening in the beginning the earth was formless and void um, and then he he goes through and starts to fix those issues in that opening s- statement here here is a formless thing and every time it becomes more formed he calls it good so i i think and this might sound vague but i don't think it is i think that art that has a form is good right. art that that tries to not have a form is bad
0: okay interesting
1: okay i think i think that you can uh, it, to me the the formlessness of modern art at least how a lot, a lot of um, modern artists try to aim toward formlessness is an intentional uncreation that's what it seems like to me so art that and, and it doesn't have to fit within the like poetry in english sounds different than poetry in hebrew or a. Right. uh uh, uh japanese poetry you know and sure. all of them can be there's beautiful. room for cultural conventions within right. there, yeah there is room for cultural yeah. but I, and i think that we ha- in, in our, our modern mind we have an issue with there being rules but the the box is actually what creates like a, a an ability to be a skilled uh, laborer in a craft, because if, if you think about like, I mean, to me, I I, I find John Cage interesting. For, right. for those who have not listened to his music, um, it's uh, it is creative. I I don't particularly find his piece of silent music like he just literally wrote how many measures? The four thirty three. Yep, yeah, four <laughs> I think that's that's an attempt of un- uncreation. But his his other pieces now they're they're percussive, so there there is an element of of beauty there that is attempting at form, but it's it's still mm like he he wrote with like uh, depending on the piece he would write things with using dice so he would take out dice roll them and then he would associate a number value to a, a note and rhythm value which, which seems kind of, kind of odd like he's 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 approaching his music in a way that he wouldn't approach anything else in life so he would he uh, had some major dietary restrictions and he would have to eat you know mushrooms and so he would Basically, learn how to grow his own mushroom, right. <laughs> and 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 noted, and I can't remember where I saw this. Maybe maybe we, we were talking about this, but so essentially, he said that it's it's funny. My philosophy of music, and he he was a Buddhist, or like atheistic Buddhist. Uh, my philosophy of music is vastly different than than what I need to be for my diet. Mm. Because if, if I approach my diet in the same way that I approach my philosophy. I'd be dead.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So a couple of things have come to mind, um, as, as you've kind of laid that out. Uh, one is, um, if I'm hearing you correctly, it reminds me of both Augustine and Aquinas that kind of touch on this, in that they would want to say, insofar as something exists, it contains beauty. So everything's really on a spectrum. So even the things that we may have a difficult time finding any beauty in do have some beauty, just in the fact that they are something that is real, something that is true, something that so so there's some level of beauty. But obviously, what we're talking about is this spectrum, which also allows to say that some things are far more beautiful, uh, while other things have you know, a lack of beauty or an absence of beauty,
1: and I, I would go as far as to say, like, so I, I believe strongly in in the the mer- meta narrative of scripture. So that that includes saying things like any any sort of disaster or um, you know the killing of Uriah with with David. I think that that is beautiful in the sense that it is part of the grander story, or the crucifixion is is beautiful, though it is also the most devastating and and horrible event in history. The tension, you know, uh, when when you listen to, again, music, (laughs) when you listen to a fully diminished chord, in itself, it sounds very uh, tense and and unappealing. So by itself, you know, they they used to call it the tritone, in, in music back in the day like medieval times that was the the devil harmony <laughs> because it doesn't it doesn't sound nice by itself right but the the ability to use tension creates more movement and i think even more form to be able to express more beauty so i, I think that i don't so know it can this... be
0: used as a tool to to tell more of the story in some in some way is that yeah.
1: and, and it might, might be hard to see but i'll, I'll try to draw sure. it here. but i think i think that art that tends toward Something like this, or inversions, or following along this pattern, can be said to be more objectively beautiful because of its relationship with scripture and and its its smaller narratives within. Most stories have some kind of opening point, and that will start either you know in a, in a good place or a bad place, but it'll grow in tension. And I'll just, I'll just assume we're talking about the whole scripture, grow, grow in tension, and then it'll have some kind of release and then end at a higher point um, than where it started. So, and this is the same pattern that you see with all the greats that you listen to uh, Beethoven, you listen to Bach; they're all going to have this kind of trajectory up to a climax point, and then there's going to be a relief afterward. and And this this is a very satisfying way to listen to music or appreciate art. I think that you could even make. I mean, I'm I'm not a, an expert in painting by any means, but sure. I, I think when you when you look at a good painting, it still has that same kind of tension and release, right? Right. And even it's all here, you know. You, you watch a movie, you read a book. I think even looking yeah, at
0: it. I, I think of, of Tolkien, he talks about this idea of eucatastrophe in, in well, his On Fairy stories. And and it's, it's a similar idea that there's this relief to the tension that, mm-hmm. that kind of built up. And obviously for him, the, the ultimate uh, instance of eucatastrophe is is um, Christ, you know, dying and rising from the dead. Now Now there's this relief that comes from that, you know. And so anyway, but... Yeah, so so I think I think you're right. I think we do see this across
1: various different modes of art. Um, and then I think even from natural theology as well. You know, we we talked about the rising and the setting of the sun. That is called a, a good thing. And you know, you take a look. If if I you know thinking again as a composer, I'm thinking when I, when I look at uh, nature. If I want to be inspired by it, you see that the opening of the day. You have a theme. With the sunrise and it develops it dissipates um you have a climax the day intensifies for the middle and it starts to release toward the end and then it recapitulates the same Theme in reverse on the opposite side, which are all things that you would do within classical music, within within uh, traditional art, and and so I, I think those those are very important ideas, you know. And take that idea, step it out even further. What's it look like for the entire day? How, how does the the moon fit in, in in its you know waning and waxing? <laughs> it's a theme that appears. Now, music, sometimes you'll have a theme that will start at the beginning and it will start on beat one. And then sometimes you'll have that same theme, but it'll start on beat three, maybe a few steps up. The, I think those are ideas that you get from how nature relates to itself. It's not like Earth has a complete uh, 24-hour cycle exactly, it's a little bit off-kilter. So you experience the year a little bit differently every time it, it revolves around the sun. So we have that leap year day. right and help us like mathematically keep up but i think those those are important so it's like it's not just this completely exact to the the second there are these kind of revolving changes if you take a camera and, and set it somewhere in the mountains and you see a big treescape, leave it there for 50 years, let's say, and then, you know, do that time lap uh, or, uh, you know, speed up the time so you can see everything really fast. Sure. You'll, you'll see the, the vegetation grow and develop. And it, there's a, a whole symphony there just within how, how nature acts in itself. A kind of unity and diversity,
0: right. Yep. In, in, in the rhythms and the patterns that are seen.
1: There's, there's theme development and growth tension release and a closing right Um, and yet
0: not the exact same
1: repetition in each case yeah yeah exactly it's not it's not like a tree grows up and dies and then the same one right (laughs) right right yeah yeah
0: yeah (laughs) which which allows for the diversity within style within you know um mode uh for for art to be expressed so so it's interesting as you're connecting this to nature it it it, it does seem to me and I, I realize this is controversial to some but but it does seem to me that art if if we're gonna offer any kind of definition or kind of narrow in on art and what its nature is it does seem to have to be tied to human nature in, in some sense right or at least nature of persons um if we want to say that god was the first artist but but it does seem attached to to human nature in some important way. And so even in that sense, it seems that this would give us reason to think that morality is intricately involved, because whatever we're going to say about the nature of humanity, it seems that moral, ethical components to human nature are an essential part of what makes us different than, than the other animal.
1: I mean, this might be going in a different direction. I, I would come at the direction by saying, um, I think that the Christian perspective is unavoidably true when when you look at the, the musical data, musical history globally. And so I, I think, and I, you know, I, I wanna be careful about saying stuff like that, because it can be construed as, as me saying that the Western world is better. Sure, yeah. Um, when I, I don't mean to say that, I, I think that the gospel changes how our relationship is with the world around us in a very way. Yeah. And so the the fact that we can, you know, take five lines, you know, somebody at some point, you know, toward the Middle Ages drew a line and then started what were called uh, runes. He started writing these kind of notations, just markings to identify. Here's generally how the melody goes. Somebody took that idea and drew four lines and then five lines and said, here, this, this circle right here, when it's next to this treble clef is gonna be A, and that's A440. And it keeps them getting more and more specific and more identifiable. And this, this relationship, I don't think can exist um, without the, the prior assumption of, of the Christian world because of that relationship between epistemology and ontology. So the thing that how, how we know what we know and how things actually are, actually having a identifiable relationship with each other right. found in the first Christ um, and, and and in Revelation. And so when we say this, this coffee cup is here in front of me, I have a relationship to it via God's holding everything together. <laughs> in a consistent law-like fashion where I can ascertain properties in it. Um, So the fact that, I, you know, laws of induction, like if I write an A440 today, it'll sound like an A440 tomorrow. Or the relationship between three notes, a major third and a minor third stacked on top of each other, will sound like a major chord. And that relationship will stay the same, no matter if you're starting on a G flat or a C sharp. That it'll have a similar property to it. Um, I know, like when, when I first started thinking about these things, or hearing these kinds of things, it sounded really arbitrary. And like, well, how would you connect Christ to you know? individual properties. But the fact that you can go from the consistent reality that you get in the Christian worldview, I don't think you can get in other realities or in other theoretical realities. And I think that shows itself when you start analyzing in in ethnomusicology, you start ethnic music at like global scale, um, studying music of different ethnicities. I, I don't think that they came to the ability to generally have more than maybe five to 10 people in a group Playing music, and that's being generous to the, the Western world, having not just a single melody line that everyone is following, maybe an instrument playing the same thing in the background, but we're talking 15, 20 parts played by a hundred people. How do, how why is there that big of a difference? And I, I really think it has to do with the, the Christian worldview.
0: That's really interesting. Now, so you're you're trained in this, and and I know very little about music. So I don't know. Yeah, I I really have no idea what the answer to this is. So if I'm hearing you you correctly, when we're talking about notes, um, obviously they they're described a certain way. Certain word tokens are used to describe them, but at least in their essence what you're saying is those things are discovered they're not invented is that is that fair
1: so and that's an important point too i don't don't think that western music in the way that it stands is is invented more or less there are aspects of it like grammatical variations um that can be changed like i don't write with the same stylistic inflections of someone from the 1700s right but i'm taking the same concepts you know basically you know english today doesn't sound like english from you know the 1700s but there there are are important differences between you know languages but there there's there's still continuity you know an Indo-European right. language is still an Indo-European language so when when we talk about musical harmonies and and we're talking about triads and you know, co- combining three notes together to make them sound nice that three note combination exists in nature um, for a couple different reasons, but one is if I walk over to a, a piano, put my foot on the sustain pedal, and I hit as hard as I can, say, the lowest C possible, and I just just Hammer it. Likely you will hear higher notes. If you let it resonate for long enough, you'll start to hear higher notes above the note that is being played. Okay. Not necessarily because, although take your foot off the sustain, you know, or if you keep it on the sustain, it'll have sympathetic waves throughout the keyboard. Even if you don't, take your foot off the sustain. Hit that note as hard as you can. You'll still hear notes higher than the note that you played. Why is that? Because that note has what's called harmonics. So the notes above the note you're playing, even my voice has this. I'm saying, I'm speaking in one note at a time, but above my voice, there are higher notes. Now you can't hear them, but that's how you identify my voice as opposed to your voice. We have a different harmonic spectrum above our our voices but they're still sonorous sounds like they're not my voice doesn't sound like two contradictory notes that's because our our, if you follow that line high up enough you're going to hear a major chord triad There's some other variations in there the higher up you go but the first thing that that is you you have your primary note then you have your octave and then i think it's the fifth and there might be another fifth and a third above that and these happen because if, if you're taking a look at yeah, I'm, I'm drawing for those that are listening. <laughs>
0: right, <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll uh, describe uh, what you're drawing, yeah. Uh,
1: so if we're taking a look at uh, the waves of a sound, and I'm, I'm just basically drawing a wave pattern. You know, of two two big humps. When you play an octave, this, this is doubled. So you're hearing the, the same high points, you're just hearing it twice. Right. Now, if you want to divide this up differently, you can get fifths and thirds, but you're still going to always have the same high point here and here. It's like they're, they're just mathematical divisions of each other. So there's there's mathematical reasons. There's experiential reasons why when you hear a, a, tri- a triad, whether major or minor, it sounds like it's supposed to be there because it is. It was designed that way. So we're discovering right. those things, how they relate to each other. I, I think that any, any culture that, that grappled with the idea of God coming down to earth and in, in mingling with us enough and holding on to the idea that his law is is secure nature is secure by his holding it together when we experience that I think you would have a hard time not discovering triads and developing more, more complex rhythms. Now, that's not to say that other cultures haven't discovered some of those things before, but the level of complexity between, you know, having 20, 30 different parts playing, hundred different people playing that together to five to 10 people playing, maybe happening upon a triad here or there, or having a big percussive group like Africa has, has lots of percussive groups. Th- there's a big difference between those kinds of groups and the simple like a, a, a Bach piece. You know, there's right. a big difference there. And that, again, that's not to say that individual uh, instrumentalists are not skilled right. in those areas. and They are. There, there's some beautiful music. I, I personally love listening to uh, sitar music. I think it's great. But the kind of, and this also plays into what your personal telos is. Um, right, sure. Your personal, your personal telos, like what, what you think is the direction of reality um, and the, the ultimate goal of things. What I think personally, and then what society tends to think really plays into effect because I mean th- think about the division of labor for a symphony compared to other people in, in different cultures another one that I love is um, uh, the shamisen in Japan now, I don't I don't know the exact how many hours it takes to build an instrument but l- let's just kind of give it not even a number we'll just say it, it takes a long time to build an instrument. <laughs> Right, sure. So a a uh, a shamisen is meant to be played by itself or with a few people. Now, some modern Japanese music, they'll they'll kind of take Western concepts, and and obviously there's many talented musicians in Japan, brilliant composers, right. not not arguing that nor does it defeat my point it's it's a borrowed system but one person makes the instrument and it takes a long time to build the instrument and it also takes a long time to learn how to play the instrument so maybe you have three different people making three different instruments for three different people who have to learn how to make how many instruments in the orchestra primarily are are not soloistic instruments cuz th- there's a difference in mentality there that that's that's a huge hurdle across i think when you make an instrument knowing that the person that learns to play it has to be dedicated enough to play with other people or basically learn to um I mean, there might be some soloistic pieces or you know a flute might have a piece here or there they can play sure. with the instruments, right. um or or they might have to play with the piano but most flutists or flautists, which are, I don't even know how to say it, most of them, I, I think, want to be playing in an orchestra. And, and definitely back then, I think most people that were making flutes were thinking somebody will be playing this in an orchestra. Yeah. So think about all, all the flutes that are in an orchestra in a symphony. That, I mean, depending on how big that might be, like what, four to eight, something like that. And that's just the flutes. Each one of those flutes needed to be made by a professional that knows how to make flutes really well. And then each one of those flutists, I'll just say flutists. I heard one time that that saying flutist was just a joke between flutists. And so I don't don't know. I I only study voice and composition, so don't look at me. (laughs) Um, Each one of them would have to um, be dedicated enough in in the, the making and then the learning how to play with other people. But that means you have to have a relationship with reality and others to such a degree that you have to be able to trust them to have a similar telos as you and, and know that like what, what you're doing now has implications for the person that you're making it for. Then they have to trust that the audience that would be massive by the time the 1800s roll around. Right. Nice. <laughs> even even still big for the 1700s and 1600s you know they, they had decent sized audiences but there had to be a purpose for that now you can get bigger sized audiences in, in other places around but a lot of musicians um i mean depending on the the cultural context they might not just sit down in a big stadium listening to music it might just be music on the street or right. music in the court you know it, it just depends so every everybody in a society believing that or at least maybe not believing but at least enough to have a, a cultural a cultural level trust in Christ in the biblical worldview, um, creates a culture that is able to have a similar telos and, and a relationship with other people, knowing that you're not just in a solipsistic uh, wasteland, that other people actually have a, a value that is God-breathed, you know, you have the image of God in you, and trust other people to also be skilled laborers in that particular field. Not, not to belabor the point, but I, I, I just, I don't see how something like that could develop in a non-Christian area. Again, obviously, we have orchestras in China and in Japan, but you have to understand that the kind of philosophy that was in China, you know, when you have uh, philosophers developed like Motsu, who wrote a piece on, on a, called Literally Against Music, and he made moral arguments that people should not play music. So, like.
0: <laughs> so, real quick, if I could just um, interject,
1: I want to make sure that I'm
0: following here. So, if I'm understanding you correctly, the idea here is that in a worldview, and obviously, Especially in our own day, but and for quite some time now, you have different cultures, different worldviews running into each other, there's influence, there's all kinds of things going on. But in a worldview that that sees, for example, the world is ultimately fundamentally chaotic. You wouldn't get to something like an orchestra yeah. or if it's a worldview that is that fundamentally sees distinction as illusory. Mm-hmm. right? So differences are just an illusion. Well, no, that's at the very heart of an orchestra that there are these distinct things that are happening simultaneously and in harmony so, so those worldviews and others like that we could go down the list right would would lack the foundations to bring about something
1: like so, an orchestra let's talk about that so i think you're, you're alluding to the problem of the one of the many yeah um, so and i think again christianity ha- has an answer in an ultimate reality that the trinity does provide us the the preconditions necessary for understanding that there are there's unity and distinction between particulars. Now, if we look at uh something like Islam, where it's a it's a dualistic system with a large emphasis on the the unity and oneness, the primariness of God, but there not being a real connection between like not something that you're able to ascertain as an individual, going from our reality to the ultimate reality, God being totally unrelatable. And that that's not not me trying to poke fun at them. That's that's like a sure, uh,
0: it's, it's a, a it's a uh, more yeah like like what John Frame would call more extreme transcendence, right? This this kind of uh,
1: more of a distance between God right. and the people. He's completely transcendent in the way that you can't understand him, right. even right. if he reveals something to you. So, the way that they write their music is a lot of it is that single line development. A lot of it is, and again, I think it's beautiful. I, I love Arabic music. I love the, the oud. That, that's their their version of the guitar. Yeah. Uh, we, we may have got our guitar from them, and, and that's, that's why you know, I, I love that there's that kind of intermingling of older music tradition. I just think that the philosophy of, of Christianity was able to take the guitar and do more with it. Okay. Uh, not that they had to be the originator of every idea. But a lot of it stems from having a, a drone and having a line over that drone. And a lot of uh, cultures that tend toward, and again, it's going to be messy. Like, it's not like Western music never had drones. They did. And it's not like cultures that are more pluralistic won't have drones because some of them do but maybe even a a better for instance um sitar music does have a drone like you might have three four players and a main player you have your virtuoso instrumentalist playing the sitar and then you have a percussion and then you have a uh, drone so that's going to be a single note or two notes that just hold out for the piece so there can be tension and release there but it's it's not as uh, multi-layered uh on the vertical it's very horizontal And what i mean by that is that the the vertical is sorry. The vertical <laughs> is related to ha- all the harmonies and parts playing on this level harmonically, and then this has to do with the counterpoint, which is the the lines how and how they relate to each other on this level. So when you have a counterpoint that's just a drone, and then a line above it, there's only so much tension and release you can have. There's still a form there, right? But not not in the same way of being able to identify. Here is my you know in a, in a poem you have, well, it depends on your form, but you you can have like an A part and a B part, also music, (laughs) and you might return to the same form later. Here's your A again. Um, that's that's creating form. It's hard to get to that same level of formation in kinds of music that depend heavily on drums. At least at least how I see it, the, the kinds of forms that they do have, like they do have some form. Like depending on the time of day, you'll have different scales being played, which I think is fascinating. So morning will sound different than the afternoon. Yeah. Um, but my my larger point is that they are even though they have multiple gods, I think that they're better classified as a uh, erring on the side of the one. Right. So Brahma being the the impersonal deity is a, like it basically encompasses in a transcendent way all of reality. So when you're doing yoga or when you're uh, participating, there are kind of uh, lots of kinds of music or sounds, you're trying to get into a transcendent sort of space and participate with uh, Brahma. So I think it's important that that kind of music has a drum as opposed to more strictly pluralistic as far as i understand it um african music will depend more on the chaotic nature of the relationship between the deities, because there is no ultimate relationship between the god of the river or the god of the sky or the you know whoever and again it's, it's going to be messy so you can't just say well these people right now believe in such and such you have to ask what did they believe back here that turned into this aspect of their art so right now in our culture you know 150 years ago, Darwinism was really starting to take root. 100 years ago, Darwinism was really starting to take root. Our music was still largely, um, you know, really uh, in the Romantic period at that point. There were things that were happening before Darwin entered the scene that was, uh, you know, like movements and humanism and so forth that affects our music 50 to 75 years later, 100 years later. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah. John Cage, I think, is a good example of the kind of effect that chaotic thinking has on music or or, or the, the kind of art where you're, you know, splashing paint on the wall. Sure. You no, know, you you wouldn't have that kind of painting if Christ being Lord was was the primary thought in in our public square. I don't think you might have some of that, but I don't think you'd get there. Yeah, on a, a large degree.
0: Sure. So okay, that's good. So so as we've been thinking about morality and the way it it connects to art and and music in particular, just kind of trying to recap for for the listeners. One, um, as you indicated, when we're talking about sounds, when we're talking about making. Making music, there's an intentionality behind it. So there's there's one aspect in which the the moral might work its way in. And then, if I'm understanding you correctly here, what you've laid out for us is a kind of metaphysical case for the morality in music as well. There's a kind of responsibility uh, in music, in art, to to its proper form, to its proper uh, function as as a as a mode of expression. Um, and so to, to deviate from that is to, to kind of deny the order or the intention that lies behind that particular mode. And, and we're not talking about styles. I just want to be clear about that. But, but to deviate from kind of that foundational order would, would also have moral consequences. I am curious about one more thing as yeah. we're coming to the end here. So I, I've, I've been having to, to read a lot of Tolstoy recently for my dissertation and my research. And Tolstoy posits an, an example, though he wants to reject the transcendentals. He actually doesn't think goodness, truth, and beauty all connect. Uh, In fact, he thinks sometimes they're actually opposed to each other, but he also sees beauty as something that's subjective and things like that. So so there'd be a lot of disagreement there uh, with what you're proposing. But one of the ways in which he thinks music is clearly art, because for Tolstoy, art is actually expression of emotion, but that's, that's just a necessary condition. That's not a sufficient condition. But it's also that that work, right? The concrete work of expressing emotion that stirs those emotion in other people. And so I'm wondering... As we're thinking through this, would you agree then, at least with this element of Tolstoy, that not only is it the intention of the musician, not only is it the metaphysics of music, but then also how that music goes on to make others feel that has a moral component? Or do you think at that point, it's kind of, we can't really say one way or another, because how Mm -hmm. how do you, you know, how do you necessarily control how others are feeling, right?
1: Yeah, I, I would separate the... How people feel and interpret something mm-hmm. to the the objective beauty of the thing. Okay. So I I don't I don't think it matters one way or the other if somebody thinks like somebody I think the the Bible is objectively beautiful. Somebody mm-hmm. can look at the Bible and think it, it's not. <laughs> sure. But that that's. Regardless, I mean, if if we if we operate based on the presumption that God gets to make the definitions and determinations ultimately, then it being objectively beautiful has more to do with, um, you know, if I don't appreciate something that is beautiful, then it has to do with a moral feeling on my part. But would and you
0: I, say that the the artist's skill. Right. So a skilled artist would perhaps be better at conveying the beauty of of a particular work than someone else. Right. So so, for example, we could say, yeah, this musician or this poet or this writer or this painter has included many beautiful elements, but their arrangement ended up kind of undercutting some of the beauty that they had made, where a more skilled artist is is putting the beauty in a in a more holistic way before us so that it's easier to experience or or to appreciate.
1: Yeah, sure. I think I think it's a great way to put it. I mean I I, I think that it, it... It definitely plays into the skill of a particular artist, but I mean, like, it. it Food might be a good example. I mean, I'm. I'm not. At this point, I'm not sure how I'd make a a case for food being objectively beautiful or not. I mean, (laughs) sure. That's that's something I haven't put a lot of thought into at this point. But I mean, a a skilled cook is going to be able to take a. Whatever ingredient, oh, maybe could <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll go that, that direction. To that, you know, whatever ingredient, and be able to present it in a way that most people might find appealing, but not necessarily everybody will. And I, I think that's that's fine. It's it's kind of irrelevant, I, I think. Okay. Um, I'm I'm curious about Tolstoy. I mean, maybe just anybody that that says stuff like that. It seems like even his his judgment on that is depending on on moral moral and and beauty judgments to be able to to defend that position of truth
0: he would say definitely moral. And so for him, morality and truth are oftentimes tied together. Where he doesn't think that they're tied together is beauty because he reduces beauty to pleasure. So beauty is just what pleases us. That's literally how he defines beauty. Beauty is what pleases us. And he says, and anyone who tries to offer a different definition, and this is where I depart from Tolstoy. I really appreciate Tolstoy because he's at least really trying to get at some things are art, some things aren't art. How do we sort that out? And then how does morality play into what art is? So, so I have an appreciation for Tolstoy in that he's at least rejecting a lot of the the subjectivism that is seen in in some aspects of the philosophy of art, but he's certainly embracing a kind of subjectivism in the way that he sees beauty. Um, and he's like, and anyone else who tries to make some kind of metaphysical case of beauty is just kind of you know he, he doesn't have a lot of patience for it. He d- he just doesn't think it works. So if if so in that case right, if you grant his definition of beauty, which I think you and I wouldn't do, but if you do then we could see where what pleases us as far as just bringing pleasure may be distinct from that which is good for us and so we can we can understand at that point so so yeah he he wants to so i don't think he would reject goodness and truth being connected but but he would reject beauty somehow participating in that well,
1: fascinating <laughs>
0: yeah yeah no and and definitely something worth exploring here would be my final question because i think it comes up If we are going to tie goodness, truth, and beauty, and and we just didn't have enough time to really flesh that out, but if we are going to tie them together, a common objection to that is that then it seems you're also bound to say that works of art, and we can limit it to music if, if that helps, but works of art that are morally good... Or at least pu- push us towards moral goodness. Um, also receive some kind of aesthetic merit for doing so. And yet, it seems that like, for example, things that are like propaganda, even if even if maybe you agree with the side that's you know issuing the propaganda, or you think of you know relig- certain maybe more contemporary versions of religious music or uh, religious movies or things like that. They all have a good moral message. They're all trying to point people to God and to the ultimate good. And yet one would want to say a lot of times they fail aesthetically, right? So is there any way to, to maintain what seems obvious there, but still say that this goodness, truth, and beauty are Kind of all bound up in each other.
1: Before I say, I I don't think that it needs to be explicit all the time. I I I don't think that every song needs to be about. You know, like I think cheesy Christian songs are the worst.
0: Right. Right. And yet their message is good, right? So do they get aesthetic merit for having a good message? Even is it really just kind of weighing the total of it? And it's like, yeah, they get bonus points for that, but. But it fails in so many other ways that it's not
1: good. It's kind of a meme at this point when you know that song. Jesus is a friend of mine. Yes, yes, it. yes. I think that's horrible. <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I made a joke. When I was listening to last, last, but I, I think it might be true. I think it's almost sinful. Yeah. 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 I I think that if if you're gonna write something, I mean, it's it's good to, to do it and fail. Like I'd, I'd rather people, especially aspiring artists, take the time to fail and fail. Okay, I think yeah. it's, I think yeah. it's good to put effort toward failing. Oh, right. <laughs> but I I do not grant a- aesthetic merit to somebody that may have some aspect of it that is good, but fail on on the part that, uh, you know, the, the, the beauty aspect. Um, I, I don't think that there's any merit there. Well, then if, if the words are good or the truth is good, well, the truth is good. You just did a bad job of presenting it. But yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rant. But do you see how that would lead some
0: people to say, then the two are distinct because now you have this, this good message that you're saying isn't beautiful. Where if the good and the beautiful are so tightly connected that to 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 fail to to do the good right to reach the good with art is to fail to be beautiful, they would say then it seems it would have to work the other way too. That if it does have the good message, it has it it it, it seems to require some uh, merit aesthetically because otherwise um, beauty and, and goodness are in fact distinct maybe,
1: maybe i misunderstand the, the question on that. like to get into a little bit more if, if i am but yeah. uh, i would take it in the same sense that like two two individuals having sex before marriage like th- there is an aspect of that that is 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 good like i mean like having having sex is a a, a gift of god <laughs>
0: right sure uh,
1: but at the same at the same sense it is a, a wrong appropriation of it um where uh, we're called to be in communion with, with our, our spouse and right. joined together as one with that person. So the application of something can be wrong even right. though it is it is inherently good. Yeah. It, it can have a bad application. So, um, but also I, again my my definition of, of objective beauty I, I'm I'm only taking concepts and doing my best and I would take concepts that I, I think that can be logically deduced from scripture. Okay. So I I I would th- those concepts remain what they are. Even if somebody isn't able to match that that same level of, of rigor with their skill level, just by applying those, you know, so somebody could write a, you know, so, so, a Song of Solomon is is a, a beautiful love piece of art. It's wonderful, and somebody could try the same thing and fail miserably. Doesn't doesn't mean that the content is wrong, but the the application of it might not be skillful. So it Again, fails as picture, a whole, right? right? Like, he, yeah. There, there definitely is is a range that is appropriate to talk about. Okay. So there there can be aspects of a thing that are beautiful without the others. Like the a drone, well, the note itself is beautiful. Like it, it is wonderful and glorious, but the application of it, I think the heart behind most music that uh, applies a drone um, is lacking. That's, yeah, that's the power.
0: No, that works. Well, we are coming up on the hour. So I'm going to go ahead and um, have us close it here. I want to thank you for spending the time with me. I really appreciate the information and I think the listeners will really appreciate it too. I'm thanking so much for having me on. I had a really good time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Signature of Man podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, leave a review, and share it out on social media. You can also email any comments or questions to thesignatureofman at gmail.com.